Well, we don't get to have the kids in with us too often, and when you are in here with us, I sometimes feel like a grandparent, and not just because I'm getting older, but because I like to spoil you a little bit. Do you guys, any, have, any of you guys have grandpa, grandpa or grandpa that likes to spoil you a little bit? Yeah. I've heard that that's what grandma and grandpas like to do a little bit. They like to spoil their grandkids. Yeah, at least a little bit. So when you're in here, sometimes I like to spoil you a little bit. And if you guys can listen real close today, I've got this tub up here. And there's candy in there. Do any of you guys like candy? Yeah? All right. Well, if you're able to listen real close today, at the end, when I'm all done, you'll be able to come up and choose. You know what? I'm feeling extra generous. Two pieces of candy, if it's okay with your parents. You have to ask them before you dig in, all right? But two, two pieces of candy. Um, now, the candy that I chose today, it's kind of an interesting choice. You might not have gotten a candy Santa in church before. It seemed kind of weird to get a candy Santa in church. It might seem weird, but I've got different types. I've got a chocolate Santa. I've got marshmallow Santa. We've got cookies and cream Santa. And we got Twixt Santa. I pretty much cleared out Target kind of scooped all the candy Santas into my cart, and we got those. Now, let me tell you why we picked Santa. Whose birthday do we celebrate on Christmas? Whose is it? Jesus' birthday. Do you know who else believed in Jesus? A guy named Saint Nick, who later people started calling him Santa Claus. Saint Nick was a Christian. St. Nick was a Christian, and as today, as, as we go into some of the things that we're going to be teaching about today, keep that in mind. That's why I brought little St. Nick's here today, because St. Nick was a Christian, and when he said, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, he meant, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, because he believed in Jesus, which makes him a really interesting poster boy for a billboard that I want to show you. This is a real billboard. It went up in 2012. People t paid $25,000 to put this billboard up in Times Square. And for those listening online, at the top of the billboard, there's a picture of Saint Nick dressed all up as Santa here. And it says, keep the Mary. So you got Santa, keep the Mary. And then at the bottom, they have a picture of Jesus on the cross. And it says, dump the myth. Westernized, commercialized version of Saint Nick, keep the Mary. Jesus on the cross, dump the myth. Now, I'm perplexed by this because if you're concerned about historical accuracy, as this group presents themselves as, St. Nick is an interesting choice for your poster boy, isn't he? Especially a westernized, commercialized version. If you are a teen or adult who likes facts, I think you're going to like today because we're going to dig into some facts. We're not going to talk about myths. We're going to talk about facts today. And if you're a kid who likes candy, you're going to like today too because we got Candy St. Nick's. ECC bringing families together since 2007, right? <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, we're going to come back to St. Nick in a few minutes, but let's begin our journey back in time even before St. Nick. All right? We're going all the way back to the first century, the period of history when Jesus actually walked the earth. That's when we're going back in time to. None of the people who paid for that billboard were alive back then, but we're going to look at the writings of somebody who was a man named Luke. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at testimony that was given to us, handed down, painstakingly so, literally, from a man named Luke. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to take out your green sheet. We're going to move fast through a lot of blanks here today. And let's start by getting some framework for Luke. If you weren't here for our Easter series, we also looked at what Luke said about Easter. Uh, 
at, at Easter time, let's look what he says about Christmas. Now, Luke, if you don't know about him, he was a first century physician who set out to separate fact from fiction. He's a real person, first century character. He uh, was a first century physician who set out to separate fact from fiction. A real man. Now, one of the reasons, we, there's a number of reasons why we know he's real. One of them is he's testified to in other ancient documents. Let me give you three. These, all three of these are in our Bible. These are ancient first century letters, all of which testify to Luke. There's an example for what we call Colossians in chapter 4, an example from what we call 2 Timothy uh, in chapter 4, and then a uh, first century letter that we call uh, Philemon, and it's in chapter 1 of there. So these are ancient documents that testify to this same person, Luke. All right, if you follow the facts, these and others, you're going to find that Luke was a real person. And the more you study his writings you start to find out that his authorship was uncontested. I encourage you to write that down. Luke's authorship was uncontested. If you go back in time to the people who were commenting on Luke's authenticity, whether Luke wrote Luke, you're going to find that they all agreed that it was him in the first century, second century, third century, fourth century, unanimous. They said Luke wrote Luke. There was no disagreement among the early first century commentators. In fact, the very fact that any book in the Bible bears Luke's name is a nod to its authenticity. Let me put up a quote and then we'll explain this a little bit. Here's what uh, one Bible scholar, Craig Blomberg, says. He says, Luke is a relatively obscure figure. He was not among the best known of Paul's companions, nor was he an apostle himself. So it seems unlikely that anyone would have fictitiously attributed a gospel to him. What that means is that there were people who were fabricating different gospels. And what they would do is they'd take a name of somebody like Peter, or they'd take a name of somebody like Paul, and they'd put that name on it because then they thought, oh, people will believe it. If you're trying to make up a myth, you don't use someone like Luke, who's barely even mentioned in the Bible. So Luke is this person, real person, and he was alive when Jesus was alive, which means that Luke was able to interview people who saw Jesus with their own eyes, who heard Jesus with their own two ears. A case can even be made. This is fascinating. I wish we had more time today. A case can even be made that Luke interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. How fun is that? So if you follow the facts you're gonna, and, and you follow them where they lead, you're going to discover that Luke was a real first century physician and you're also going to discover this. His scholarship is exemplary. Many, 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 many scholars have written how Luke got his history right. Luke got his facts right. His scholarship is exemplary. At the beginning of his book, Luke opens with a statement. And it's not just any statement. Almost every scholar I consulted made a big deal about Luke's opening sentence. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, a book took the form of a rolled-up scroll. All right? So that puts a lot of pressure on the opening sentence. A lot of pressure, right? Because scrolls are not very browser-friendly. You can't exactly just open the thing up and go, oh, okay, here's what it's going to say. Here's kind of the outline. The first words on, a, words on a scroll, they're the book jacket, they're the title page, they have the title of table of contents, they are the foreword, they are the introduction, all in one. Scholar N.T. Wright compares then Luke's opening sentence to one of those huge stone entrances that welcome you into a beautifully constructed building. Another Bible scholar said this about Luke's opening sentence, because Luke is like, I'm going to get this right. He says, it's composed in highly elegant literary Greek. 
Luke's opening sentence justifies the study of Luke as both a historian and theologian and suggests that he aimed at a level of trustworthiness in both spheres. All that to say, Luke took extreme care to get that first sentence right. He wanted to establish himself to say, hey, I know what I'm doing here. I, this is going to be a carefully researched document. So he put that out there. And let's actually take a look at it. Here's Luke's opening uh, sentence. This, all this is one sentence. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, actually verses 1 through 4. I want to let you know, too, if, um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. Every week we keep a stack of them at those two tables. They're there for you. Please take one as a gift. All right. This is all one sentence. And it's in, on purpose. Again, what he's trying to do, he took this, this sentence and he crafted it carefully so people read that and they go, oh, this guy, better take him serious. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty regarding or concerning the things that you have been taught. There it is, one sentence. That's a big sentence. And in this sentence, Luke makes a promise, not just in the words itself, but in the way he constructed it. Luke makes a promise to Theophilus and all the other Theophili that will also read this report. And in that promise, Luke's promised to tell the truth. That's what he's promising. I'm gonna tell you the truth about Jesus, and Luke kept his promise, which leads to our next talk point. Please write this down. Luke's narrative continues to be externally verified, meaning what Luke wrote, if it's possible to verify it, most of it's been verified by other sources. They've, they've got Luke's back on this. Many, if not most, of Luke's verifiable claims have been verified through historical records, archaeological discoveries, geography, contemporary documents. Luke wasn't into myth. Luke wasn't into legend. The very reason that Luke wrote was to say, I'm going to research this myself. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to get to the bottom of all the myths. I'm going to get to the bottom of all the legends. There's a lot of stuff that's floating out there about Jesus. I'm going to research it myself. I'm going to do the work, do the heavy lifting, and I'm going to present the facts to you. If you like facts, Luke is your guy. All right, that's review. We did this in um, going into Easter. Let's turn a corner and let's talk about what this means to us. And specifically, let's talk about Christmas. I'd encourage you to write this down. Luke's investigation merits a response. Luke's investigation merits a response. Luke wasn't the first century equivalent of TMZ. This is different than that. This is not just some news report that really doesn't matter, right? This is more like this. It is more like breaking news that we're at war and you've got to choose a side. And it's also like this. It's like a warning that there is a consuming fire coming our way, along with instructions for all who want to be purified and saved. It's like that. It's like both of those things and it's like this. It's like a news report that there is a buried treasure, a buried treasure that's worth giving up everything to find. It's like that. And not only that, we're going to tell you where to dig. Luke's account is like all of those things. 
It's not just trivia. It's not just the kind of history that really doesn't affect our lives. It is like that. Luke's investigation merits that type of response. If Luke got his facts right, then Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, that baby that was born, if Luke got his facts right, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. The book of light, Luke, the book of Luke doesn't read like fiction. In fact, I encourage you to write this down. Luke's narrative is anchored in history. Luke's narrative is anchored in history. Luke includes so many facts. If you're going to make something up, do you want to include a whole lot of facts? No, especially not facts that people can fact check. You want to have just enough facts to get them to sound, this sounds plausible, but you don't want to include too many details because otherwise they can check you out. They can find out whether or not you're telling the truth. Let's look at an example um, from Luke. How many of you have ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas story? Charlie Brown Christmas story, all right. Remember when Linus recites that, that thing from the Bible, that passage from the Bible? What's he reading from? He's reading from Luke, all right? Let's take a look at that passage. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, as we're reading this, look how many facts Luke includes. There's people, there's events, there's places. Even start to maybe make some counts in your head and see if your counts match mine. All right, here's what, here's what Luke writes in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. And this is typical Luke. If you turn to other sections of Luke, you're going to find the same kind of thing. Lots of facts, lots of places, lots of dates, lots of historical figures. He anchors it in history. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, your numbers might be different than mine, but in this short passage, I got Luke providing at least three major events, five names, and six places that his audience could fact check. And remember, he's writing in the first century. These people are alive. They could have said, hold on, I was there, that didn't happen. He lays it out there. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis who's known for a whole lot of things. One of them is for being a literary critic and historian. Look what he says about when he reads Luke and he compares it to other ancient literature. Here's what he says. He says, I'm a literary critic and historian. That's my job. If anyone thinks the Gospels are either legends or novels, then that person is simply showing his incompetence as a literary critic. I've read a great many novels, and I know a fair amount about the legends that grew up among the early people. And I know perfectly well, the Gospels are not that kind of stuff. Luke was telling truth. Luke was telling history. He didn't write like the people who wrote myths and legends. And here's the thing about Luke's history. It's history that matters. There's some history that doesn't matter. Like what I ate for breakfast. I had peanut butter toast with honey. 
That doesn't matter. That's not something that, you, that merits a response from you. It was pretty embarrassing, though, because my pages were stuck together in the first hour from my little honey dribbling over my, my page as I was doing this. You know, if, if you wanted, you could fact check me and find out whether or not you could examine my stomach, you could look at my nasty notes here, you know, and you could find out, okay, he had peanut butter toast with honey. So what? This is different history than that. This is history that warrants a response. And I encourage you to write this down. If Luke is telling the truth, then the baby that was born in Bethlehem is Christ the Lord. This is not just trivia. This matters. If Luke is telling the truth, which he appears to be, then the baby born in Bethlehem is Christ the Lord. And what we're going to do between now and Christmas is we're going to dive into Luke's account. What did he discover when he did his interviews, when he did his fact-checking? One of the things that we'll look at, we're going to look at this next week. Here's a little teaser. Luke is, I think, the only of the four gospel writers that talks about the shepherds. When Luke did his investigation, he heard all these accounts about the shepherds. Um, here's what he writes in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I can't even begin to unpack how rich this is. We'll take our best shot next week, but here's a, here's a summary. When Luke did his investigation, he found out that there was a shepherd connection. <laughs> Listen to this. The shepherds that were out in those fields in that region were quite possibly the same shepherds that kept watch over the lambs that were sacrificed in Jerusalem. The shepherds heard and responded to messengers that God sent. And the messengers bore witness to the birth of a descendant of King David. And King David was once a shepherd boy himself, but then became the shepherd over God's people when he became their king. The baby that the shepherds found lying in the manger in the city of David would grow up to be the good shepherd who searches for lost sheep. And those who recognize the voice of the one who was sent by God will find their sins forgiven because he laid down his life for his sheep by becoming the sacrificial lamb on a hill just outside of Jerusalem and rising again as the king who conquered death in the grave. Do you got that? I'm not sure I got that. Isn't it rich? his investigation, he writes one little line there, there are shepherds in that region. And you start to connect the dots and you go, wow. That's just the teaser for next week. In week three, Nick is going to take us deeper into the angels. Luke says a lot about angels, which is fascinating coming from a physician. Here's, here's what he says, continuing on with verse nine. One of the things he says about angels, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For hundreds of years leading up to the birth of Jesus, there was the kind of silence that one might expect in the aftermath of God's judgment on his covenant people. And then, we see it in Luke, there is a flurry of prophetic words. There's the appearance of God's mighty warrior messengers. There are visions, and there's dreams, and there's miraculous signs, like the tremors that precede a seismic upheaval. The heavens began to testify that something huge, something that was foreshadowed, and yet without precedent, was about to take place. Luke records several of these incidents, and this is one of them. This is one of these heaven-breaking-into-earth moments that Luke heard about in his interviews. 
Now remember, let's take this account and then let's talk about how Luke put this in history. When you take the account and you put it in history, the facts of history, all of a sudden, it goes from black and white to color. The event that took place with these angels that we just read took place during the time of Caesar Augustus, who they called the divine Augustus. Listen to this. On his birthday, do you know what they called Caesar? Savior and Lord. And an earthly choir would sing that out. So when it's Caesar's birthday, an earthly choir would sing, you're our Savior and our Lord. Does that sound at all like anything that we, we just read here? Do you see what the angels were doing? Wow. Wow. This was no ordinary baby. Not only was he the good shepherd who would become the sacrificial lamb who would lay down his life for his sheep, Jesus of Nazareth was the king above all kings who had been born this day in the city of King David and a heavenly choir was bearing witness on the day of his birth. Here's something else that the heavenly host proclaimed. Proclaimed, they said this, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth what? Peace, on earth, peace. Who was Caesar at the time? Caesar Augustus. You know what Caesar Augustus' claim to fame was? It was bringing peace to the world. Man, you start doing your historical research, you start to realize, wow, the facts lead you to some pretty interesting places, which is one of the reasons we encourage Bible study. One of the reasons we, we recommend resources, about every three weeks, I recommend, I recommend getting a great study Bible, like the ESV study Bible. All right, another one I want to recommend today, I put these in your notes, um, are this little set called the IVP Background Commentary. Um, just a great little resource to have on hand because pretty much everything that I just told you about those, those passages, that Luke passage, you can find that right there. You could find that right there. So as you're reading and someone says, oh, that's a bunch of myths, you're able to say, really? You can look at the billboard like we looked at earlier. If, you're in, if you study the Bible and you follow the facts, you can look at a billboard like this that says, drop the myth, and you can go, drop the what? Drop the what? Because you real, begin to realize all the history that stands behind our faith. Our faith is not the kind of faith that is just a foolish faith or placing your faith in wishful thinking. Our faith is a faith that is founded on history, on facts, on events. And if you follow the facts, the facts are going to lead you to a manger. And if you follow the facts, the facts are going to lead you to a cross. And if you follow the facts, the facts are going to lead you to an empty tomb. And if you follow the facts, they're going to lead you to an invitation from the one who rose from the empty tomb. And here's how I want to extend that invitation to you today. The last thing I'd encourage you to write down. And it's an interesting invitation coming from a church. But it shouldn't be because of who St. Nick was. Here's the invitation. Will you follow in the footsteps of St. Nick? Will you follow in the footsteps of St. Nick? I said we'd come back to St. Nick. Here we go. A couple centuries after Jesus, a young man from a wealthy family followed the facts. 
And he did more than just place his faith in Luke's writings. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And as he put his faith in Jesus Christ, he began to realize Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. And one of the ways he's alive is his spirit is changing me. It's changing the way I think. It's changing my heart. The spirit of Christ is changing my life. According to traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation, St. Nick was an extremely generous person. And he was generous like Jesus was generous. He would give to people who would never give to him in return. He was generous. And not only that, there's some interesting things that were said about him with miracles. Not this, it doesn't have the same backing that we have in our scripture with Jesus, but there's some interesting stories about the miraculous things that God did through St. Nick. But what I want to end with is something that no one ever told me about St. Nick. No one ever told me about this. In the year of our Lord, 325, St. Nick was summoned by an emperor, Emperor Constantine, to appear before we, what we call the First Council of Nicaea. If you're a Lutheran or Catholic, this is going to be fun. St. Nick was a part of the team that brought us the Nicene Creed. Obviously, we don't have a lot of Lutherans and Catholics here. Any Lutherans and Catholics? Nicene Creed? Who's heard of the Nicene Creed, right? The Nicene Creed! What? St. Nick was a part of the team that brought us the Nicene Creed. If you're not familiar with it, which I assume that many weren't, um, I printed it out on the back. This is what St. Nick believed about Jesus Christ, about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit. This is what St. Nick believed. He was a part of the team that brought us this. So as we bring this to a close, I want to invite you to recite the words of St. Nick and some others. Uh, St. Nick's Creed. So speak this out with me. This is what St. Nick helped develop. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now do you see why I've got little St. Nick's up here? Yeah. Yeah. Because I want everyone in this room to know St. Nick believed in Jesus Christ. He was a Christian. How awesome is that? And so this Christmas, we want to invite all of you to follow in his footsteps.
So can we pray to that end? Here as we bring this, this uh, time to a close. Let's pray. Father, we begin by giving you thanks this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you that you inspired a man named Luke who was so brilliant to check out the facts himself. We thank you, Lord, that despite history's best attempt to shut him down and to destroy his works, that you allowed his writings to survive and be handed down and even written in English so that we could read them and hear about what happened. Father, we're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful for the people that right now are taking those words of St. Luke and they're translating them into every tribe and tongue and language and they're working at the, sometimes at the, the risk of their own life to get these words of life into the hands of others. Thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for people like St. Nick who stepped up boldly to live for you and to set an example for us to follow. And Lord, this Advent, we want to follow in the footsteps of Luke we want to follow the footsteps of St. Nick. And we want to turn to you as both Savior and Lord. We want to acknowledge that it was you who died on the cross for our sins. That it was you who rose again. And Lord, we want to offer you our whole life. We want to leave everything behind. Take up our cross and follow you. Because your way is good. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Fill us with the Spirit of Christ, fresh and new this Christmas time, so that we could have our eyes open to the wonder of this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.